Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Michael Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Brother Barningham asked to a couple weeks ago if he could have a couple minutes and shared with me what he wanted to share with the congregation. So I'm going to ask him to come up at this time. He's uh, all excited. He loves public speaking. Uh, so he's going to come share some thoughts with you this morning. Thought about running for politics, but you got to really be careful what you say there. Uh, somewhere around 18 years ago, my wife and I were up at family camp, and there was a speaker from down south, I believe Georgia, named Brother Davis. Not the Brother Davis that used to come here. But in his message, he had mentioned, if you're contemplating throwing your teenager out, don't do it. Don't throw them out to the wolves. Don't give them to the world. And... That thought was going through my mind at that time. We were raising a teenager, a couple of them. I won't mention his name, the one we were having problems with. But uh, I don't want you to know who he is. So anyway, after hearing from that, and, and my wife and I did disagree on that. That was one of the disagreements in 38 years of marriage. But anyway, we did disagree on how to handle that. Shortly after that, I heard another message where the gentleman said, get off your teenager's back and get on his team. And that just has gone through my head here the last few weeks. We have a new pastor here. He's been on the job five, five and a half months, six months. He is but a teenager. Wouldn't you love to be a teenager, brother? But he is but but a teenager on the job. How about as a congregation we get off his back and we get on his team? I said, let's get off his back and let's get on his team. Praise God. Thank you, Brother Barningham. I'm going to ask you uh, if you would stand with me this morning and turn in your Bibles. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. All sorts of fun stuff here today. I'm very excited about this message. I'm using uh, two here for a reason, Silas. So if you want to mute this one for a second, I've got a couple things that I got to do, and I want to put it through the microphone here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We've heard this scripture many times if you've been here for any length of time. And you've heard it said that the mind is the battlefield of the soul. The mind is an amazing, amazing thing. Can you agree with that? I mean, I don't know, we we have this, we watch this show called Brain Games every once in a while. If you've ever seen it, or if you haven't seen it, I recommend at least taking a look at it because you can get an idea of how your brain can manipulate things to see what you want to see and in such a fashion that if you're not careful, you can make a real mess of something very simple just with your mind. 
So I, I want to I try something here. Uh, so if you'll bear with me, I want to see how many of you, and I'm too cheap to actually subscribe to this, so there might be an ad that I'm trying to avoid having that issue, but how many of you remember this song? All right, so we, so we got that one, okay? Now, here's, here's another one for those of you that maybe are a little closer to... Um... Yep. And now I just gotta figure out how to turn it off. There we go. You can be seated. The reason that I wanted to share those with you is because... Surfing USA was actually released by the Beach Boys in 1963. That's almost 60 years ago. But you hear that song and you're like, oh yeah, I know that. And it would be amazing because you could, you could go like 15 years without hearing it. And it comes on the radio and you're like, oh yeah, I know this. Same thing with uh, Journey. Don't Stop Believing came out in 1981. I was five years old. But when the song comes on the radio and you you've remember it, again, the mind can capture some amazing things. And the reason I share that with you is several weeks ago, <clears throat> Delana and I were driving back from Wednesday night church and we had the radio on scan and I heard a song pop on the radio. And I know that most of you have been able to do this. You hear a couple of words of this song and all of a sudden you're like, oh, hey, hold it, I know this. And you hit the little button, you stop it and you sing along, right? I'm sorry, Silas, can I switch over? I need my hands. I apologize. That salesman in me, you gotta, you gotta distract people with these things. Um, so we're driving back back home and the song comes on the radio and, and I, start, I start remembering the words to the song and, and in this instance, I actually started singing and actually listening to the, the words that they were saying. And I mean, this thing came out actually in 1987. Again, I was still young. And let me share with you some of the lyrics and I can tell you that being in the Christian school, we tried to use these as, a, as leverage occasionally so we could listen to it because it spoke of talking in tongues. Um, this song, and, and many of you will, will know it, but it, the, some of the lyrics are this. I've spoke with the tongue of angels. I've held the hand of the devil. It was warm in the night. I was cold as a stone. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Listen to this. I believe in the kingdom come. All the colors will bleed into one. You broke the bonds. You loose the chains. Carry the cross of my shame. You know I believed it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And it struck me when I was listening to the words of the song that this person is professing that they have spoken other tongues. They have done evil things. They understand that Jesus Christ carried the cross for them 
to take away all their sin. But somehow, some way, they still haven't found what they're looking for. So my question today is, what are you looking for? What is it that you're looking for? See, my belief is there's a lot of people in this world looking for something. Something that meets a need, that fills that hole in their soul. See, a lot of times we think addicts are just, just tried something one time and all of a sudden it got, they got addicted. I think if you do any kind of looking into these situations, there's typically something that drives that motivation. And we, we oftentimes, from the pub, we talk about drugs and alcohol, but there's so many more addictions in this world. There's, I mean, you, you could do a laundry list of them. And the, the fact is, is that most of the times people do things because they're trying to fill a gap because they haven't found yet what they're looking for. They're still searching. And we as human beings, well, we typically want it to be something we can control, right? We want to have control of the situation. We are control freaks when it comes to our life. That very statement, it's our life, right? Go back to some other crazy songs where it's, about, it's all about me and what I want and at that time, in that moment. But it doesn't give you the satisfaction and, the, and fill that gap in your life. So you lean on other things. Now I know that uh, in, in this message, I'm dealing with some, I'm talking to some very intelligent people. Sister Sandin has reminded me of that many times. And I do realize that in this message, there are a tremendous amount of rabbit holes that I can go down. But I believe that you will find what God has specifically for you to take out of this message, to take it to a deeper personal level in your life. So I'm not gonna go down every rabbit hole or we will be here till very late this afternoon. But one of the things that people do want is unconditional love. Unconditional love. They want peace in their lives, but they can't find it. They want to be comforted, even if it's just for a moment, until they need it again. So I wanted to share something with you because I, I found this, these statistics to be pretty amazing. How many of you have heard of Xanax? Okay. Um, so I did, I, I did fact check this. This is an actual document, I'm not just winging it here. So let me give you some understanding of what Xanax is. Xanax is a powerful benzodiazepine that is often prescribed to treat generalized anxiety disorders, panic disorders, insomnia. Here's the thing, you know when you watch those commercials and then the guy, or even listen to them and on the end it has the 55,000 things that it's going to do to you after you take it? Okay, so Xanax is extremely addictive when used long-term. Xanax is the number one prescribed psychiatric medication in the United States. 70% of teens with a Xanax addiction get their drug from a family's medicine cabinet. Okay, so again, I, I'm, I'm going to reference back and forth here a little bit. 
It's prescribed to treat anxiety disorders, panic disorders, and insomnia primarily. Xanax is the brand name for alprazolam, a prescription sedative. Benzodiazepines were originally developed as replacements for barbiturates. Xanax affects the brain and central, ner central nervous system. Remember we talked about how important the mind is to keep it clear? So it affects the brain's central nervous system. It boosts brain chemical, chemical called, we're going to go with GABA, gamma aminobutric acid, which slows down, slows down the nerve cell activity in the brain. The result is a calm and relaxed feeling. Okay, remember that. Because Xanax is CNS depressant, common effects of this drug include slurred speech, loss of coordination, and anxiety. So if you're taking it for anxiety, major bummer. Um, there's a cycle there, apparently. They say drugs fill a void. Remember we were talking about voids? Or at least that's what therapists think. The first time I popped a Xanax, this person said, was the first time I felt relief from my anxiety disorder. There was something oddly comforting about Xanax, the way it came in many shapes and colors like peach and blue. I enjoyed looking at the pills. There were a pretty, there were a pretty little assortment of happiness. I could feel just by holding in my hands. Although Xanax put a temporary stop to my agony, it soon introduced a new kind. And I, I, I'm not saying that all medications are of the devil, okay? Let's, so if you want to have that discussion, let's just avoid that altogether, okay? What I'm saying is this simple description of this highly prescribed medication. And I'm going to tell you some of the numbers of this right now. This testimony of what it has done and what it was used for should tell you all you need to know about what this person is struggling with. There's a void. I see these pretty little things that can help me be calm and relaxed. You know anything else that can help with that? Here's some statistics, 124.9 thousand amount of emergency room visits due to recreational abuse of Xanax. That doubled from 57,000 in 2005. 50 million. In 2013, 50 million prescriptions were written for Alprazolam. Again, that's the generic name up from 38 million written in 2006. So in seven years, 9% is the rate. The prescription rates for Xanax have been climbing at a 9% rate since 2008, which I did some math, which puts the number in 2019 at right around 90 million prescriptions for Xanax. 90 million. That's, of course, if it didn't change in the past you know, seven years from these statistics. And for many of them, just like this person that gave the testimony, they still haven't found what they're looking for. They've exchanged one problem for another. Some want grace. Some people want mercy. Some people want God to be a teddy bear. 
You've ever met any of those people? I'm witnessing to one right now. So if he hears this, yep, talking to you. They can run to when it's run to him when it's convenient. And just leave him over, you know, in the closet, on the bed, until they need him again. You know any people like that? I do. Here's, here's a simple solution for you. Don't try to micromanage God. If you want help in your life, which is what most of you are here for, if not all, don't micromanage the person that's trying to help you through the problems and the situations that you're encountering. Because the reason that you're probably in those situations is because you didn't let him manage in the first place. Going back to my first point, we like to be in control. And if you say, oh, no, I don't have any problem being in control, who's driving home today? This is one my, my wife and I go back and forth quite often on. She swears that I would not let her drive. And I'm like, no, I, I will, I will, I'll let you drive. So we were driving, and I, was, it, I think it lasted like 45 minutes. I'm like, I'm going to go in the back and sleep. And I'm like, I can't sleep. You're driving, and I just feel like I'm not in control. Most of the, at least the men will agree with me on that. So I want to make this very clear to you today. That God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God of the Old Testament, that, you know what? He wasn't a teddy bear. He poured out judgment. Now he's allowed us a dispensation of grace, a time to find what we're looking for, to seek him. But there's a time of judgment that's coming. And I'm not one to tell you, hey, hellfire and brimstone, you know, get to the altar out of fear. But I will tell you that God loved you enough that he went to a cross to die for your sins. Your responsibility is to step up, accept the gift, and allow him to fill your life. Some people, again, think of God as a convenience. Sometimes we do too. We think of him as a convenience rather than something we can depend on inside and outside of church. Let me give you an example. People go to college, right? How many? Yeah, okay. How many of you have gone to college? Okay. I didn't go for very long. I wasn't very good. But I did go to a couple of classes and, and what I found is that a lot of times what you would see is people... People believe the professors. I mean, the professors have all the knowledge, right? So you go, you talk to a professor. Yeah, somebody, somebody went to school and actually learned something. Um, but you, we put all this faith in people. We really do. I mean, you think about it. You will, you will pay tens of thousands of dollars to have a guy that has a degree on his wall tell you how you should do your job. And in some cases, how you should live your life, right? Pay tens of thousands of dollars for that. But here, in this place, we have God. God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, created you in his likeness. And the minute there's a problem, we're going to question that. 
well, God, I don't, I don't think you know what you're doing. Very rarely would you go to a professor and say, well, professor, I don't think you know anything about what you're talking about in teaching me about this. So, but we'll put a lot of faith again in that professor that he knows what he's talking about. For some reason, this doesn't seem to bear as much weight as it should. I mean, if you thought about this as a textbook to learn how to live your life, and you study and you understood that God is the all-knowing professor, and you put some faith in him, do you think you would have more success or failure? I'm assuming by your answer that you're pondering very deeply the thought that I just proposed to you. But when God wants to speak into your life, you need to know who's speaking to you. Going back to the very beginning of this, now I I don't usually do this very well, but this is all going to culminate here. Who's speaking into your mind? In 2 Chronicles chapter 10, Verse 6, it says, And King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men that had stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived, saying, What counsel give ye me to return? Answer to this people. And they spake unto him, saying, If thou be kind to this people, and please them, and speak good words to them, they will be thy servants forever. Sounds like good advice, right? These people are speaking into Rehoboam's life. But he also took counsel with some other people. And it says he forsook the counsel which the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men that were brought up with him and stood before him. Two groups of people. He rejected one completely, accepted his friends. You can go on and read the story of Rehoboam. It didn't turn out well. Who are they hearing from and who is putting information into their mind? If you have a solid foundation, you stand a better chance of knowing who you should and should not listen to. There are people in this world that you should not listen to. There are some people in church that you should not listen to. But if you're sensitive, if you're studying, and if you follow some pretty simple directions in here, you can find out who you should be listening to. Let's look in 1 Samuel 13 and 13. You know, we're looking for things in our life, but there's times that God has looked for people as well. 1 Samuel 13 and 13 says, And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. Saul didn't listen to the prophet. He didn't listen to God's command. Saul was in control. So he found out very quickly through Samuel 
that in verse 14 it says, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. Now I want you to, I want you to remember that. This is in 1 Samuel 13 and 14. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Because you didn't listen to what I was saying. You didn't hear the words that were coming out of my mouth. So we see in verse 14 what God is looking for. A man after his own heart. Right? 1 Samuel 16 and 7 says he's looking on the heart. And we know he's chosen David. So let's take a brief synopsis of David. Pastor Cordell talked about this around Christmas time. But let me give you again an overview of David. He's a protector. The Bible talks about stories where he protected the flock from the lion and the bear. He's a warrior. He's willing to stand against all kinds of odds, knowing that the Lord is with him against Goliath, because he knows that with God all things are possible. He's also a fugitive, wanted by the king. Even though he'd been anointed to be the king, he was not, in fact, the king right away, and the king at the time became very jealous of him. 1 Samuel 24 and 8. I love this because this is just a, again, you talk about making sure you're listening to the right person. David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how the Lord hath delivered thee to day into mine hand in the cave. And the same bade me kill thee, but mine eye spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. So let's back up a second here. Saul is pursuing David. He's a fugitive. He's going to kill him. So David has his, his men, and he's given the opportunity, as Saul sleeps, to eliminate the person that is coming after him. Okay? People, according to this verse of Scripture, are telling him, you should do it. Get it over with. Strike him. Kill him. Be done. He could listen to that voice. But he doesn't. Cuts off a piece of his garment. And even feels guilty about that. Why? Because in verse 10, the end of verse 10, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. David knew very early on to not put his hand against God's anointed. He was encouraged. He had every reason to, in our mind, to say, you know what? Saul's chasing me just because I've been anointed. I'm a threat to his kingdom. Why don't I? Would you have done the same thing? Walked away? No. But he tells him, he says, 
listen, Saul, you thought I was trying to do you harm. I want to prove to you. I'm going to bow before you because you're still my king, because you're God's anointed. I'm not going to listen to the people that are telling me to hurt you, to do damage, because you're God's anointed. So he becomes king. He's a conqueror. He's an adulterer. He's a murderer. So who will tell the king? Who will speak into the king's life? And furthermore, will the king allow that person to speak into their life? See, in our society these days, we're told that we are the kings of our life. We control it. We do what we want to do, when we want to do it. That's how we know we're in control. And no one is going to tell us what to do, how to live our lives. Someone had spoken that into your life. Somewhere in this society, that is the mantra. It's your life. Do what feels good. Just in the, this is the one I love. Just live in the moment, man. Really? Because I think I got to get up tomorrow and go to work, and that's going to be a whole bunch of moments that I have to live through. So what are we, you're living in the moment is complete, completely irresponsible, irrational thinking. And we know this, but it's the thought that's out there right now. Oh man, you know what? You, you want to go get high? Oh, you, you know what? Live in the moment. Oh, you know what? You want to go take your paycheck and, and gamble it away? Man, live in the moment. Don't worry about your kids at home or your wife or, or your husband. You know, don't worry about all that stuff because you know what? You got to live in the moment. You only get one spin around this earth. So you got to live it up. Live in the moment. If you have people talking to you into in, your life that way, you need to turn that off. Because this isn't just about you. God didn't come here just for you. He would have come just for you, but now he's got a plan for your life. And you need to listen to what he has in store and what direction he wants to take you. But will you listen? I'm here to speak something into your life today. We have to be willing to speak into others' lives, but also to be spoken to. David is the king, okay? David could have anyone killed at any time for any reason. This is not a democracy. There is not a judicial system. He can do whatever he wants because he's the king. So let me share with you why I see that David is a man after God's own heart. In Acts 13 and 22, it says, and when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king. To whom also he gave their testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. This is in Acts chapter 13. Remember, we were in 1 Samuel, I believe it was, and he was looking for a man after his own heart. Acts 13, 22, he says, I found that man in David. We know that God knows the beginning from the end, right? So David, David obviously has a major screw-up. And for those of you that were here during the installation service, Brother, Brother Booker spoke, and it was powerful what he talked about, about how we all need a Nathan in our lives, someone that can speak the hard truth with love and compassion. 
I'm going to give you an example of that. Again, this is going to why I believe that David was a man after God's own heart. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting with verse 1, this is going to be a lengthy passage here. It says, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up and grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. Okay, I got to be honest, getting a little weird. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take his own flock and his own herd, the dress for the wayfaring man that was coming unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that came to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. Great. Okay, we understand. I you got to appreciate Nathan's approach here. He gives him a story. He doesn't come right at him and say, listen, you have screwed up. You have made a horrible mistake. He doesn't come in initially with condemnation. He comes in and gives an example that he can relate to. And he's speaking into David's life. Again, David, as the Lord liveth, that the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And... He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now this is where Nathan is faced with a decision. Remember I talked about how David could smite down anybody? Nathan is literally in a position where he's trying to deliver a message that basically calls out the king as a murderer and an adulterer. How could David possibly handle this situation? Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah, and if it been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things." Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me. Thou hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. And I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun, for thou didst secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. So he lays it out there before him. He says, You messed up. There's going to be a punishment. Remember, it's the Old Testament. He lays out his punishment. Your wives will go sleep with your neighbors and everybody's going to know about it. This is the king. But David is also a repenter. 
David has options. When Nathan says, you're the man, kill him. Wipe him out. But we already know David understands the importance of not putting his hand against God's anointed. He has an opportunity to wipe, you know, put this under the rug. Just brush it away. Oh, Nathan, that's, that's not true. But David knows what to do. David, as a man after God's own heart, he accepts the word from the prophet into his life and repents for his sin. All too often, people try to blame someone else. I love this with, with kids. This is great, right? If you have one child, by the way, you never get to experience this, but if you have at least two kids, it's always a blame game. Who did this? I was, it's funny, I was watching something the other night, and uh, these two little kids, one had a marker, and the other was colored with the marker. Like, who did this? Well, the one with the marker. Well, no, it's, it wasn't me. It wasn't me, Mom. It wasn't me. Well, what is that? It's a zebra. It written black marks all over this kid's back and made it a zebra. But it's, oh, it wasn't me. It was somebody else. We like to pass the blame, justify our actions. But I'm going to ask you this morning, will you allow God to speak into your life? Will you allow God to use your pastor to speak into your life? Let me ask you another question. Who is the Nathan in your life? Who is the person that can say what needs to be said even if you don't like what is being said? Think about it. Do you have those people in your life? And if you don't, I want to encourage you today to find one. Find somebody that can speak to your heart, that's willing to put it on the line. God is looking for a spirit of repentance today. He's looking for humility. He's here with grace for your life. He's looking to be your savior. Will you allow him to speak into your life today? Will you accept the truth even when it's not easy? Will you admit that your way has not worked? And no matter how hard you try, you're just not very good at being God. What are you looking for today? Are you looking for peace? Are you looking for victory? Is there something in your life that you're trying to overcome and you just haven't been able to get over the hump? Just haven't been able to quite grasp it? You need victory today. Are you seeking joy? Are you in need of salvation? Let me introduce you to the Prince of Peace. Let me introduce you to the man that conquered death, hell, and the grave. To give you eternal life. 
In John 14, he says that he will never leave you comfortless. 1 Peter 8, you can have joy unspeakable and full of glory. So I ask you today, what are you looking for? Now we can sit here and, and I've been in church as long as I can remember. And I can tell you that most of the time when I come through those doors and people ask me how I'm doing, it's, I'm doing great. Compared to other people, I am. But I might have my own struggles. I do have my own struggles. I have my own issues. But if I'm not willing to be able to say, listen, you know what? Lord, I want to give this to you. I, want, I don't know about you, but I want joy in my life. I want to be happy. And I find that that comes from that rare, regular prayer time with God. It's, so, it's such a difference in your day when you start your day out talking to God. Instead of going, you know what, God, I, I got this and you know, I got this first couple hours. I'll handle this. I got, I'm really busy. And then you know, I might need your help in the afternoon. So if you can come in and help me, help me with this or that. You'll find that, that joy is a little bit more fleeting and a little difficult to grab a hold of when you're constantly running trying to chase it instead of just accepting it into your life with the way and the plan that God has for you. When you listen to things that aren't positive and uplifting or you hang around with people that are constantly negative and speaking ill of leadership, of your friends, of other people in this church, don't listen to those voices. Don't listen to those people. Those are not the Nathans in your life. But you need to find somebody that can encourage you, that can uplift you, that can speak to you in truth, letting you know that God has a plan. And if you will just allow him, he can meet every single need you have. From an altar of repentance to an exit to heaven, he's got it all covered. Will you just let him speak into your life? So if you're here and you're looking for salvation today, I got some good news for you. There were a lot of people looking for the answer. And in, Second Peter, in Acts 2 and 38, it says, and Peter said unto them, if this is what you're looking for, if you're looking for salvation, he says this, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. You've been called here today. You listened to a voice. And you came to this place today for a reason. God doesn't want you to leave here like you came. He wants you to leave better. So as you stand with me this morning, I'm going to ask you again. What is it you're looking for today? Maybe today, if you truly give God a chance to work in your life and give him free reign, you come with a spirit of repentance, humility. That can be tough to do sometimes. Because you may feel that you're showing weakness in humility. Weakness is committing to failure when you see the solution, but you're too scared to reach for it. Say it one more time. Weakness is committing to failure when you see the solution, but you're too scared to reach for it. I want you to remember this, that all have sinned 
and come short of the glory of God. But today I can tell you that he's truly everything you've ever been looking for. He can meet every need that you have. He can fill that hole in your life. He can speak to your mind and give you the peace and the joy that you've been looking for. You don't need to go to a doctor. You don't need a professor. What you need is an intimate relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you will find exactly what you're looking for. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word and your promises, Jesus. Your faithfulness to each and every one of us through every trial, every tribulation that we've gone through. You've always been there, Lord. And I pray today as this altar is open that you will touch hearts, that you will see more Davids in this place, people after your own heart, that come with a spirit of repentance, with a desire to serve and minister to those that they come in contact with, to love, Lord Jesus, each and every person that we meet and to share with them what you've given us, the fulfillment of everything we've ever needed and everything we were ever looking for. I give you the thanks and the praise in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.